Hey there, Speech Guy listener. Uh, this episode is rated 16 plus, meaning it is best suited for years of individuals who are 16 years of age of older. The reason for this is we discuss sex as it relates to um, behaviors post romantic relationship. So, with that, uh, hope you enjoy the show and hope that you are uh, old enough to listen to it maturely. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Hey, Stephen. Tegan. Good to hear from you. Welcome to this. Welcome to the speech, guys. Uh, tonight, you. on the other end of the line here, here out west, where the buffalo roam, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> we got Ross, whom you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Nice to talk to you, Steve. Hey, Ross. So, Stephen, for our listeners, went to University of Illinois, as I stated, with basically Ross and I. Landon was uh, doing his own thing. But, but Stephen was an RA with me at Newman Hall, and we sort of just uh, bounced around the same cities since then. Tegan, why don't why don't Stephen you introduce Tegan to the crowd, and also you know put a fine point in it how I came to know Tegan. So uh, I came to know Tegan. I met her at the Washington University Catholic Student Center. We were playing spike ball together, and then we started going to mass together. And I asked her out on a date. And then Mike met Tegan while uh, we were in St. Louis. Mike lives near St. Louis, and he would hang out with us and counsel me on uh, what it meant to date Tegan. (laughs) (laughs) Very generous of you. Um, You guys stay together? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably despite any counseling there. Tegan, do you have anything to say on, like, if you're introducing me and Steven, like, as a pair, do you have any comments on that? <laughs> Mike would ask the question, Stephen would think and reply, and then Mike would give <laughs> Okay. And they would do a stand competition in the middle. I'm saying that again. You're sort of breaking up with that a little bit. And in the middle of all that, they would do a handstand competition. What? Sounds about right. Stand. Physical challenge. Steve, Stephen warned me that you were, you would get a little dotty this late in the night, so I think we're playing. <laughs> okay, so tonight you guys are you guys live in South Bend again. So as I just told these guys, it's like tomorrow morning over there. Tegan, I know you love movies more than I do, even. I can't even keep up with you with all of your quotes and movie references. Uh, did you guys get a chance to watch the movie? I have surprisingly seen it in the last year. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I think I, I'm pretty confident I watched it with my family when it was on VHS soon after it came out. <laughs> that had to have been like one of the last VHS movies. <laughs> <laughs> was it and maybe it was DVD then I don't know but I do remember watching it at home with my family and any reactions from the speech that we're going to be talking about his very melancholy speech at the end or just memories of the film that sort of stick out to you so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth in his little monologue and you know there's the depths and the heights and um yeah driven to desperation and he's he's open to Open to grace, we might say, um, but definitely open to to some kind of revelation. 
deep. Okay. Digging into that. Don't say yeah. stuff that's like too deep, or we don't sound as smart later on. In the <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> By the way, are we on air right now, or is this like? Yeah, on? you're on air. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to start over? <laughs> Live to the whole world. I just think he was looking to be in communion with someone, and he chose a volleyball. <laughs> While his heart was desiring God. So you're saying that he sinned and he should repent. (laughs) Idolatry. (laughs) You know, there were lines written for Wilson. He had a script. Really? Yeah. Um, Okay. Anything you guys want to say? Let's fill the airwaves here. Come on. (laughs) I would like to say we can can make anything work. Hearing Steven's voice is interesting because – so, as Mike alluded to, I, we, I was friends with Steven at U of I. We weren't, you know, BFFs. But normally then when you haven't really spoken to or seen someone in eight years, ten years, whatever it's been, you'd, like, move them to an acquaintance category. But Mike talks about Steven so much, I feel like he's, like, my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm literally yeah. looking at Steven right now, the picture of me and him at his wedding sitting over my desk. <laughs> oh, we have Mike's picture our fridge. Yeah, it's true. If that's true, then not our friendship. So. Okay. So when, when you're ready, when you're ready for us to kick it off, Tegan and I, Tegan and I practice. So we have a little. Oh, okay, here. good. You're going to dig yourselves out of your hole. I'm like falling asleep here. It was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Are Chuck and Julie going to chime in? I don't know. I don't think so. Unless you can, we can add them to the call, but um, that's all right. Okay. No, so no if you guys, if you guys are eager to present your uh, introduction package, uh, I think you have okay. all the information you need. And so uh, we're excited to hear this. Steven okay. and C. Brady. Okay. So we would like to introduce to you the speech guys, Mike, Ross, Landon, and Matt for another great conversation in season three. So grab a warm blanket and put some ice in your glass. Stay alive. And keep breathing. You are one podcast away from a classic movie monologue. Introducing Tom Hanks as Chuck Nolan. Tomorrow the sun will rise. Cue the music. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. Very good. Very nice. You're out of the hole and you're on top of Mount Calvary. Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all are all here. It's free, free. I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want a podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. Like, if you don't climb your walls. 
we are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement. I feel like I'm at the edge of a cliff, ready to jump with that great intro. Man, that's that's what it is right there. So, yeah, as they said, Chuck Nolan, Castaway, Speeches by Losers, second one in the series is what we're going to be doing here. So, without further ado, let's make sure we know exactly what we're dealing with. And let's go ahead and take a listen to that speech. We both had done the math. And Kelly added it all up. Knew she had to let me go. I added it up. Knew that I'd... I'd lost her. Because I was never going to get off that island. I was going to die there. Totally alone. And I was going to get sick or I was going to get injured or something. The only choice I had, the only thing I could control, was when and how and where that was going to happen. So, I made a rope and I went up to the summit to hang myself. Test it, you know, of course. You know me. And the weight of the log snapped the limb of the tree. So I, I, I couldn't even kill myself the way I wanted to. I had power over nothing. That's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew somehow that I had to stay alive. Somehow. I had to keep breathing even though there was no reason to hope. And all my logic said that I would never see this place again. So that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And then one day that logic was proven all wrong because the tide came in, gave me a sail. And now here I am. I'm back. In Memphis, talking to you. I have ice in my glass. And I've lost her all over it. so sad that I don't have Kelly. I'm 
But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. Gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring. I have ice in my glass. Tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide can bring. He just, those, those three lines, he like says so perfectly in the movie. Yeah. Like I can just, that's such, I don't know, those three lines. When I read them, I was like, I can just hear his voice. Since I was not on an island, I am not going to drink my whiskey with ice in it. I don't deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Just for the record. Oh, wait. Landon, Landon, you do have ice in it. Mm -hmm. You dog. Yeah. It's melted. Matt, you, Matt and I. How do many not. islands have you stayed on? <laughs> I didn't really think like how is many he a times. Loser? Well, that's what we're gonna try to figure yeah. out. <laughs> I'm that if he's not a loser, we how, are awful. <laughs> how many? How many times uh, would you say you guys have seen the movie? I've seen it probably at least five or six times over the past twenty years, twenty-three years. I'd say two. I would say I've viewed parts of it, like definitely like 20 i don't think i've ever seen it full beginning to end because it's always on like tv on like you guys think now that like cable is not going to be a thing anymore like the idea of just seeing parts of movies all the time because they're always on tnt or something is going to like not be a thing anymore cable is the most luxurious thing like you can just hit a button and then hit another button and you're watching it right away it's two clicks Anything streaming takes like ten to fifteen minutes to like pull up. Yeah, it's coming back. Okay, let me maybe give us a little more. <laughs> so why why I chose the speech here? Okay, well for one thing, I mean anytime you put together this this theatrical cocktail of Tommy Hanks with acting, Alan Silvestri on chords and music. And Bob Zemeckis, Forrest Gump guy, Back to the Future guy, you know, you know, you're gonna have theatrical magic. You know, you're gonna touch on some things and make you feel something enduring. Okay, they don't make them like that's this what we anymore. got here. You're right. They don't. <laughs> I don't know. It was maybe I remember it was like around 2016, and the film and the speech that we just listened to really like. <clears throat> landed for me the way that it does now and has ever since. And the context for that was I'd been seeing a young girl in St. Louis. Um, Not that young of a girl. She was a girl, okay? A young woman. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't super long. It wasn't super serious, but serious enough. Um, Maybe like seven or so eight weeks that we were we were seeing each other and anyway she cut things off and i i was sort of i was sort of mopey about it as we're going to discuss here the sort of like the default conditions for post breakup in a loose sense of the word here but just romantic relationship ending and i don't remember maybe if i had just seen this movie or something but 
just the memory of this speech struck me in a certain way where <clears throat> there were certain parallels, right? Because not that Kelly exactly broke up with Tom Hanks, but it was a romantic relationship that meant a lot, a lot to him since he was about to be married in the film. And then it ended. It not only ended, but like she had a whole family. But not yet married. Right? They were not married. No, Chuck and Kelly were not married. And he sort of, you know, in the film and in that language there, he touches, I feel, on sort of the default responses to that of what I feel like for virtually every guy <clears throat> is poutiness and like anger um, slash frustration when a girl breaks up with you, cuts the cord. And rat and then how Chuck Nolan moves forward from that is profoundly inspiring and very much I think the model, very much one might say the Christian model for dealing with a breakup. Touches on themes of providence, grace, maintaining dignity, not shaving his head. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe going for the rebound, girl. We don't know. We're going to have to explore that one. <laughs> oh, um, we can explore that one. <laughs> so, so yeah, th those things there I thought were very... It, it just struck me in a new way. I thought, whoa, that is, that's definitely the way we are called to be post-breakup. So... That's why I picked the speech. Ross talked about how to be a loser in war. So today it is how to be a loser in romance. Very, I like, I like that. That's a very good way to summarize. We did loser in war, loser in romance. What's, what is there more than war and love, really? Well, I think Matt wants to do death. How do you <laughs> losing the love? How one? do you lose in death? Like eh, hell, maybe you lose a loved one. <laughs> <laughs> You know how death works? <laughs> Fair. I get it. So, also in summary, this kind of consoled you for like how to re how to think about it. You said it. You did watch yeah. it at like somewhat of a pivotal. Um, yeah, like, yeah, sure. Was it more like scenes. an optimism of like what he said, how the sun will rise, and like it kind of like inspired you, or was it more like a, that's how you should be, and like I need even though. It, I need to be more like that guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, more more so the latter, I would say. Um, yeah, to sort of like <clears throat> flesh out that pouty and anger uh, uh, dimensions a little bit more. You know, it's like, and of course, there's there's just speaking from from the male's perspective in a uh, guy gal romantic relationship. The the general activity, right, is that. The guy is putting forth this these various um, expressions of effort to to win the girl's affections. To put it just really, really simply, and and then things obviously don't work out, as in the cases that we're talking about. And I was talking to someone recently. It's it's something like a sense of like injustice when it doesn't work out. Um, a sense of like helplessness. It's like, oh my goodness, like I just did 
not I not only put in this effort to do certain things, but then even to like figure out what those things were. So it's like for the next time, do you do more? Do you do less? Do you do something different? Right. And and dealing with that as an immature male is just really challenging. Like those kinds of questions don't have they're very like energetic kind of questions. There's lots of energy to them, but they're really not grounding in any particular way. Not yeah. You you cert and actually I remember Ross, we were talking about this on the drive up to <clears throat> was it last year's spring camping trip? No, maybe like fall, fall camping trip, like a couple years ago. But <laughs> but there there's a different romantic relationship that just ended for me. And I it was I said something like Man, wouldn't it be funny or weird if I said something like, oh my gosh, like that girl is just crazy or something? Because you hear guys say stuff like that so often after a period. Oh man, she is crazy. Like, really? Then why did you date her if you thought that she was actually crazy? Or are you simply saying that to just make yourself feel better? You know, obviously, more likely, the far more likely, the latter. I mean, I think there are definitely scenarios where you, where craziness is unveiled in layers. You know what I mean? I I think they're Matt. We're gonna get ourselves canceled. <laughs> you watch your mouth. <laughs> Women are saints. All of them. All of them. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. I mean, I, I yeah. Obviously, that's not the point of what you were saying, though. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, um, but yeah, no. It, and I think one thing. One thing you mentioned, you know, like, do you do too much? Do you do too little? Are you doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Or, you know, yeah, just I I think that those questions do impact uh, men more than they might admit. And like, I'll even find myself just there's, yeah, just a couple things that I was, uh, I was critiqued and like, I mean, I don't know if that was the only reason we broke up. I think we were heading to breaking up anyway, but um, there are a couple things that I was critiqued about. That I'll even ask Claire about now, like, hey Claire, do I do I do this for you enough? Like, I know like women typically Come on, appreciate will you say this what it is. What's that? Will you say what it is? Um. Yeah, why not? So, um, uh, I uh, yeah one one thing that a girl I dated really appreciated was just being spoken to. Um, I guess you know. I guess not like not like a friend or a bro, which I have the tendency to just speak to people like, "Hey, what's up?" You know, like whatever. Um, she, yeah, she just like much preferred a more like, "No, I want you to like speak to me more tenderly or like more." Oh wait, so you were talking to her sort of broy? Yeah, I was speaking and, oh, to her okay. too yeah. broy, you know. Yeah, and but Claire and I just totally like we just. I don't know. That's just how we interact. Throw it <laughs> like, out. Like, very much doesn't care about that. You know, we'll say, like, what's up? You know, like, I don't know. We, we yeah, like, Claire and I, Claire is not at all, that's not at all important to her. But every now and then I'm like, Claire, do I, like, treat you like a lady? Like, do I treat you, you know, do I, like, treat you, wet, like, in an appropriate way in that regard? And she's like, oh, yeah, like, no, I love it when you're friendly and goofy and fun. Like, anyway, but. But yeah, no, I think there there are certain things that that do kind of stick with you, like even after it's been a while, and even after you've totally like removed yourself from whatever situation, and 
you're with a totally different person, you know, with a different personality. Like sometimes that stuff kind of sticks. Ross or Landon. I mean, Ross, he's been married about 15 or 20 years now, so it's probably hard. <laughs> it's probably hard for him to remember any breakups in the past. But, but Ross or Landon, can you guys think of any instances where you sort of teetered more in that sort of pouty or, or angry uh, sense of injustice direction that that Chuck Nolan was able to stay away from? Not directly. I don't want to. I'll hear Landon's thoughts. I don't want to steer too much away from our kind of point here. I feel like looking back, my breakups, I feel like were like the opposite in the sense that I was such a coward and just didn't do it. The the relationships I was in for long enough that I really cared about, I should have broken off earlier than I did, but I was just too much of a wuss to do it. So like when it finally happened, it was almost like a sense of relief because it should have happened like months before it did. Yeah, I'm not trying to speak well of myself there. Those were definitely not good things that I did as far as how I handled it. But um, So I don't feel like I can super relate to that in my own... I mean, I understand everything you're saying. It makes sense. I just can't... I don't have an experience to throw out there for it. I think my best correlation would be trying to, like, get... Like, when it probably wasn't clicking, like, just trying to, like, get another date or like clinging to the hope of maybe a next step when like I clearly knew it wasn't uh, likely to happen. I can resonate with the poutiness. I don't know if I have. I pout in other ways. Yeah. <laughs> poutiness is universally bad. <laughs> right, right. I think the, just thinking about the theme of the movie yeah, kind of an interesting just imagination play. Like, imagine if you were stranded on a desert island and died and had someone you were supposed to be engaged to um, and then came, like, were plopped back. Like, I, I don't know. I think that you can play that out in your head sometimes and, like, them creating a storyline and fulfilling perhaps a fantasy of, like, remove this person from their life and then plop them back in. Um how would they handle it? Like Hollywood took a very, I would say interesting turn in, in several ways where it was like the high ground. Like they, they didn't get back together. It was um, perhaps like probably like the right answer that it was an unexpected movie plot. I, I don't remember the first time I watched Castaway, but I think in that, that rainy day, rainy evening scene, it's like, man, you think they would just, like, run off together and, like, have other, I don't know, have some other plot line. So here's <clears throat> here's sort of an interesting thought experiment. I remember when I was teaching, one of the things I would say on occasion was something to the effect of whatever makes for the better story is probably the better thing to do. Not, not always, not necessarily, right. but it should yeah. at least, like, give you pause and thinking like with the film castaway it's like okay what if chuck nolan had like like lance said instead him and kelly just got a hotel room and slept together and then she left you know um whatever the guy's name is from sex in the city who plays plays her husband mr big, <laughs> mr. big. yeah like would that make it 
I mean, there's still sort of there's obviously a story there, but is that a better story? And it's it it seems very obvious to us. Like, no, of course not. Like, I don't even know what speech series that would fit under. Well, speech by like real losers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, how many other circumstances in your life can you think of things like that? Where it's like, okay, if I made this other decision. Is that a better, is that going to be a more interesting, more rich story to tell later on? Is it, is it touching on more enduring themes of humanity? Obviously in Chuck Nolan's case, it's in Kelly's case, it's things having to do with, with faithfulness and loyalty and love being more than a feeling, you know, it's about who you're committed to, um, ultimately, but I mean, feelings obviously there too, but yeah. And I think it does kind of speak to. I guess just the, uh, I mean, there's a certain simplicity that comes with like making a vow, right? Like, mm. um, and respecting another's vow, you know, and that yeah. like, oh, no, I made this vow. Therefore, like my decision is easy. Not that it's easy and that it's not emotionally gripping, but you know, like, you know, obviously what the right answer is, you know, doesn't make it easy to, to live out per se, but, but yeah, there is just kind of this beautiful but gut-wrenching simplicity to that idea yeah i mean just the the idea of i mean i don't know if there's any permanent vows in like secular culture you know what i mean like name mm. a scenario mm. in like kind of the modern popular world where like you make a vow and you stick with it and there's no way out like i don't yeah uh, I, don't, I don't know if there question. is like yeah i mean open to being corrected on that but there are no more covenants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a big thing. But then, like, is that the end of, like, cool love stories, you know? Because that's kind of like the, mm. uh, I don't know, that's like the undergirding facet of it. Because if that wasn't a thing, um, I don't know if, if Chuck's return is as gripping, you know? So, like. Yeah, like, the whatever the current generation gen x or gen q <laughs> like they just don't get it like what why, why did they, they just run together yeah well, i mean yeah what, what was i about to say um well okay so in response to your question is it the end of love stories with the end with the end of vows um in this broad sense i i'd say no because there is there is still always the natural attraction even within secular culture towards that enduring marriage you know they might they might give different litmuses like well you know you shouldn't bother trying to stay together for x y and z reason but there is still that natural attraction oh that that still is sort of the ideal um oh man it it's only sort of related but it's not gonna take super long and it is it is really interesting are you thinking of a different movie wait a second Oh, I thought I because I I thought I thought you were gonna bring up I forget the name of the movie but the uh, uh, Stephen Hawking movie Shawshank Stephen oh Hawking, Stephen Hawking but, Theory of yeah, Everything yeah yeah the Theory of Everything because he's kind of a scoundrel you know and his oh, and his wife yeah, is yeah. like taking care of him and doing all these things <laughs> yeah and then there's this they hire this caretaker who's this like handsome young man who's like of age that they, I mean, they could totally have been a romantic thing. And I think they start to head down that road, but she cuts it off. Right. Yep. Doesn't she yep. I remember that? Right. Yep. yep. 
Because, yeah, that, that was something that I was, yeah, I don't, just when you were talking about that, I'm like, oh, yeah, like that was a, and I think I remember watching but, that at but, Stillwater, too. Um, yeah, no, I, we did. But hold on, there's more to it. Because, yeah, she cut it off, whatever. But then Stephen Hawking's character goes off with the other caretaker. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, you watch it, and it's like, yeah, in the movie, who knows how much in real life it was this amicable division. But in the movie, they make it off to be like, no big deal sort of thing. But I do remember us watching, like, what the flip? Stephen Hawking is a butt to keep it PG. (laughs) Like, what is admirable there at all? Well, yeah, and, and like, what's the more gripping part of, like, that movie? Is it this guy sleeping around <laughs> you know like or is it that yeah, yeah it, it's just uh yeah because i i do th- remember that just being like a total like the it takes the wind out of your sails there's this gripping story this wife sacrificing yeah. for her husband her husband's going through this like really really difficult trial not to minimize what he was going through you know but like gosh like if if only like there are so many ways that could have been a really beautiful story you know and anyway, yeah. but you guys want your minds blown? Okay. Do you know what this movie is really about? Is this <laughs> what some other movie critic says, or just a really great idea you have? Uh, no, I did glean this from uh, internet research and archives. Oh. Right. Okay. Is this the place to talk about it? Or Archives. Should we wait? Um, sure. It. I mean, it sounds like it could fit. So, all right. So I, I I came with evidence. I've got the receipts. Do you know? <laughs> do you know? Just like in your research, have you come across the name Bettina? Well, yeah. I saw what I called cliff notes at the end. I thought that was like the name of the ranch. Yeah, Dick and Bettina Ranch. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what if I told you that this movie was all about the peaks and the troughs and really just like the journey that one goes on to find their true love and purpose in life? Okay. So I, I get where you're coming from. So that's an <clears throat> interesting slight twist, a little bit of a nuance. What, so what does Bettina – yeah, I guess what does Bettina have to do with – what you just said in terms of the twists and turns and hills and valleys couple couple of the highlights the the that's really key most the beginning of most movies is what they're all about so how does the movie Hmm. start do you guys know well first scene is in texas on the way to the ranch and she hands the fedex delivery guy a package to be shipped to her husband who is Pulling the Stephen Hawking over in Europe. <laughs> yeah. And then what happens? And that, well, in Russia, I guess. And then it's like two blocks over or something, and Tom Hanks is teaching the Russians how to deliver packages yeah. the American way. Right. Quick highlight. So at the beginning of the movie, when the FedEx truck pulls up, he pulls up to the ranch. You can uh, scroll to our notes and see the pictures at the bottom. It's the Dick dick and bettina ranch right and she gets a package bettina gives the fedex driver a package it's got the butterfly on it then there's the next scene is that package being delivered in moscow 
to a cowboy looking dude. He's with a Russian woman and he's like, oh, it's from my wife in Texas. Um, at all the key points here, some Elvis tunes are playing. When the FedEx driver takes it, he, um, in the background, the uh, tune is like Heartbreak Hotel. Like, I get so lonely I could die. Um, Chuck gets on the plane to Blue Blue Christmas. But the key junctures are like Elvis songs, like Blue Christmas, Kind of Melancholy, Deep Blue Ocean. Um, it's the one box that he keeps. And when he writes the note on it, bag it's like this package saved my life when he finally intersects her when she's driving back he she says to him you look lost what are the key junctures of his little speech that we're analyzing like i lost her once and then i lost her again like he is lost he meets bettine on the road she pulls away butterfly symbol on her truck Tom Hanks kind of his face realizes like oh I should follow her which that part I think is obvious and he follows her you know he's in the middle of Texas far away from any oceans kind of his safe harbor like his destiny the providence but I didn't realize how much like there was set up at the beginning to say like this other woman this other person is his destiny and like here's the arc of like a journey he's with someone else you know she's with someone else at the moment but through this he'll end up here and it's because he went like to the deep blue ocean on a voyage like risked his life like yeah i don't know you can pull some allegories out of that um but i i didn't realize some of the connections there with the the first and the last scene before I listen to some other uh, some other sources on the matter. Did you guys know any of that? Yeah, no, I never would have. Yeah, I never would have put that together. I'm gonna have to think a little bit. I I obviously understand what you're saying in generalities, but I feel like I could get it a little bit more satisfying. Level. I think the 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 gist is like, of course, the other woman at the end. He kind of looks that direction. That was like somewhat obvious on the movie watching. But I didn't realize right, yeah. how much had been dedicated at the very beginning of the movie to like the fact that, yeah, she was with someone. She took her husband's sign down. They they spent at least like three minutes on like a setup to like this package and this person and this place in Texas and like he's gonna come here at the end and all the little things like you wouldn't have ever delivered the package if it wasn't like some life-saving device and like goal it wasn't he was willing to commit suicide several times and it wasn't, wasn't it wasn't his like department. possible engagement like they kept him it was like the package to be delivered because mm. like yeah mm. he he knew about kelly is that her name yeah anyway I thought, I don't know, that was a, I want to really rewatch the movie after hearing that take on it. But I think that does, well, I was just going to say, I think that does speak to a couple of things that just really come up with the, um, like the keep breathing, the sun's going to rise, who knows what the tide will bring. And this, I, yeah, I mean, I think is a pretty clear depiction of like Providence, right? So like 
when you talk about like the hills of valleys the all of this stuff is kind of this elaborate setup to I mean, maybe you could argue that's the real story, you know, is like what happens with him after all of this. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of like how Providence is. Like, you don't really understand it until you zoom out. And, I don't know. I like, I prefer to think of it in terms of like Providence and not Destiny. Like, at least the word in my head. Because I think it adds a lot more weight to what he did when he told Kelly. I forget exactly the wording. Um... But if I remember correctly, like she gets in the Jeep and he is the one that kind of says, I don't remember what he says, but to go home. Yeah, you go, you got to go home or whatever he says, because it's like, I feel like when you think of the word destiny in my head, it seems like predetermined in a sense of like, oh, he's he's happy. He's going to be happy. It all turns out happy in the end. It's almost like a hallmark. It's just a hard way to get there, you know, but I feel like when you think of it in like the word providence, it's more of a, like he very well could have said, let's go wherever. Like he had every choice to do that. And like, you know, he, I don't know. I I don't Maybe it's too, maybe I'm not explaining this subtly enough of the difference, but I feel like it adds a lot of weight in the sense of maybe there wasn't, Oh, some perfect girl waiting for him. He just has to make this hard decision. It's like, you know, he might not be happily ever after, but it's still the right decision. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I mean, I think there is something to that. I, I agree what you're saying. Yeah. That Providence is a more suitable, even though that word doesn't come up within the film, I think it is a pretty suitable term to describe the events in the film in contrast with destiny Right, but the thing is, like our our conception of each of those terms is based upon what we what we read and consume in in culture, not popular culture necessarily, but culture spanning, you know, the past two thousand years essentially, right? And it's when we say providence, so I do want to like hark on that a little bit, providence and grace, like in the context of the film and how it's it's a it's a model for what we observe particularly Robert Zemeckis observes in reality and wanting to convey but providence like that that interplay between your own will or agency and those things which happen outside of yourself which seem utterly beyond but at the same time connected to a billion other things that happen that seem to mean something but you're not exactly sure what and destiny sort of seems to be connotated more with look things are going to happen the way they're going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it which obviously is not like a very liberating feeling that's not inspiring that doesn't like celebrate your agency um it's sort of like a very enslaving sort of attitude towards towards reality um and so then grace <clears throat> sort of sort of feeds off uh, you know, you might say like providence is is the sum of grace and agency um because in hanks like again man this is it is such a great metaphor for for how one is seems to be caught within the christian conception of reality how one is called to live life right like 
<clears throat> he lands on this island and it's do 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 figure out all these Pratt's goals how to make a fire how to get coconut milk out of the coconuts and blah 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 and he goes as far as he possibly can with that uh you might say it's like akin to um work is is the um what 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 is that motto attributed to which order but um work as if everything depends on you okay and then that he knows that's not going to save him no matter what he does no matter how many coconuts he milks <laughs> he's never going to get off this island and so he decides to try to take his own life and through through providence he's not able to right and through some sort of small act of grace he's not able to take his own life and he realizes that you just got to keep doing the ordinary things every single day. And he could have maybe done that for another 60 years if that's what was necessary. You know, he, he sort of gives that vibe that he could have. But he kept doing his thing. And on that day, which God deemed right for whatever reason, you know, that sale, quote unquote, sale came in. Right, and that allowed him to move forward with with the next thing in life. Um, so, yeah, I, I yeah, I guess I just wanted to elucidate those two points, those two realities, um, really clearly. Elucidate? Could I have the country of origin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not know. <laughs> America, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> so I know like one of the, the, I don't know if this is a good time to pivot to just the myriad of breakup advice out there. Oh, good, good. Yeah. You know, actually, I, I, I think to, that was yeah, something. That yeah. I mean, just, um, if only Chuck had known had read only... men's health. <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, that's like, I think just putting, if you, Kind of like you said, whatever makes a really great story is usually like a, a fairly good guide to life. I think that if whatever whatever makes a good story is usually good, like good advice. You know what I mean? So, and if you were to apply the advice of Men's Health Magazine versus... So, well... We, we have men's health that yes, we're going to reference health. here. Um, psychology today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Desiring God. I, I don't know exactly who produces this website, mm-hmm. but but each of those three, they have some interesting comments that we're going to go through here. John so. Piper produces that. He's like the um, baron of Protestantism. Okay, well, we'll see about that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, shall we start with... Has he been on Art of Manliness? (laughs) Well, let's start with uh, men's health. Uh, This is where we put in the disclaimer, right? For our listeners under age 21. Yeah, maybe stop listening if you're... Well, we'll we'll, we'll put a rating on that. That's right. So, So a couple things from Men's Health Magazine in terms of their... Advice for having lost in love, right? For having, you know, dealing with a breakup or dealing with some sort of disappointment in the love world. Stop looking for shortcuts is one of their things. Fair enough. All right. Don't judge yourself for your grief. All right. Also pretty good. Be mindfully busy while still taking time to heal. All right. Don't go through it alone. Fair enough. 
Then it starts getting interesting. Date and have sex with other people. Who else would you have date and have sex with? <laughs> <laughs> not with animals. Not with, not with aliens. This may seem... I don't know. I, I don't... Like, this is interesting. This may seem like unusual or even bad advice. This is Men's Health Magazine. But here's where Barats, I guess that's one of the counselors they talk to, is coming from. It could actually be helpful to feel desired and remember that other people will desire us. He adds the caveat, of course, it's too recent. If it's too recent and you're not comfortable, don't. But there's no need to wait a certain amount of time. This can be helpful for you to realize that there are others out there. The person you lost, you're not the only person in the entire world who will love you. Like, there's a little kernel of truth there. But instead of just, like, realizing the kernel of truth, it's just, like... I don't want to say I got angry reading the men's health, like, some of the later, like, recommendations, but it's, like, just picture for a moment, like, how most people... And if you didn't tell them where you were coming from or, like, why you were talking about it, like, the Tom Hanks route, like, I feel like everyone would say, like, wow, that was, like, really hard, but, like, the right thing to do. And then just picture some guy going off and having sex with a bunch of women, and it's, like... I don't know. It just seems like sometimes you just got to call stupid stupid, and that's stupid. Yeah, imagine Tom Hanks driving away from that scene in the car with Kelly and then just going to a bar and having sex with a sloppy drunk girl. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's I think, just like, I what think what you're trying to say is well, use Tom Hanks' words to to interpret Tom Hanks' words. Scripture to interpret scripture secularly, and in this case it would be oh, stupid sure. is as stupid does. <laughs> in fairness to Zachary Zane though I don't which of course is a very untrustworthy name but that's the guy who wrote this article I don't think that he would encourage Chuck Nolan to go sleep with some sure, sloppy, sure. Quote, sloppy woman at the bar so yeah just, fair enough yeah, but I mean if you're enough. talking about but I'm still calling it if stupid. you're talking about just having sex with other people as a rebound I don't know if that's that much better you know what I mean like yeah, right. Like if okay. you're using so someone his, his to take... as an emotional pacifier, like that's still a pretty. I don't know. I don't know if that's that much better of a treatment of a person. Yeah. So okay, to clarify, right? The the point is is that his his point is have sex with other people to help you realize that your ex is not the only person in the entire world will love you who will love you right that's that's the crux so disregard all of the other consequences associated in in emotional and psychological and spiritual costs associated with uncommitted sex follow it you know with among my other points there okay what, what's our other uh, tips from zach zane Let's see reconnect yourself by rediscovering your independence yeah, fair enough. Find a hands-on hobby. Then the last one is treat yourself. Explore <laughs> all pleasures and be really in italics. So I didn't emphasize that without the author's consent. Good to yourself. From masturbation to delicious foods and even some extravagant gifts. <laughs> Buy that sex toy you've been on. <laughs> Use your old fit. I don't know. Just like... I, I feel almost ridiculous reading it. But anyhow, that's that's what Men's Health has to say. And this was probably published like 10 years ago? No, this was pretty recent, I'm pretty sure. Uh, 2021. 
uh, Zach Zane's uh, bio, he's the author of Boy Slut, a memoir and <laughs> manifesto, uh, editor-in-chief of the Boy Slut Zine. He writes Sexplain It, the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health. And enough said there. <laughs> okay, in fairness there, I don't even feel like it's that speaking frankly masturbation is frowned upon in a relationship so when you're in one right romantic relationship right so i find it striking that they're calling for more of it as if it existed less when you were in that romantic relationship i don't know you know maybe that's not sure. the case but just so, yeah because he, he wouldn't see that as as something to limit in yeah any exactly way. yeah, yeah sure, exactly sure and some extravagant gifts too, like, yeah, that, I mean, even that too, I'm sort of like, like, how much of an extravagant gift that it's worth mentioning? A nice pair of jeans. I could go for that. You can go get yourself a nice pair of jeans. An afternoon at J. Crew. <laughs> and an Annie Ann's present. Whoa, don't get crazy there, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. So... Psychology Today, I would say there is a decent amount of overlap, which I think is fair. So they say to nest, um, basically, you know, make sure you, you've got good cooking supplies, put some art on the walls, indoor plants, just make sure you have a homey environment, it sounds like, is what they mean by that. So homey environment, uh, go easy on the alcohol, all right, I think fair enough. Uh, get a relaxing massage, and they say physical touch is irreplaceable, and that's all I have to say with that, which is interesting. That feels a little suggestive. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Seems fair. Um, invite friends over to your new house for dinner. Cook with them. That's awesome. Don't mind read and assume you know what others are thinking. I think that's definitely one that I've run into. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Like, any sort of, yeah, any sort of rejection situation, like, it's easy to project. And that's, yeah, I think that's important. Uh, six, talk to your friends. Uh, always very good. Prioritize adequate sleep. This is process guilt and shame. Um, it kind of has a brief description of guilt and shame, but I'm surprised. I don't know. It seems like I've, I've always heard guilt and shame like distinguished in like a Christian context, but I don't know if I've ever heard anyone in a like scientific or therapeutic, whatever sort of context line that out but i think that is really important to think about yeah i think it's like a psychological therapy is that okay yeah um, I, mean, I could be wrong but I'm, I'm yeah i mean yeah that last line there guilt is sometimes warranted shame generally isn't i mean that is actually also maybe you said this i wasn't listening but yeah i feel like that does apply really well across the board yeah, where I think of guilt is simply the recognition that you did something wrong and feeling bad about that. Shame is like, yeah, dwelling on it, sort of um, sentencing, sentencing yourself to hell on account of that thing. Well, I would, I would say more than, and I think they, they actually even talk about like more global negative feelings, but I think it's, or oh, oh and then they say of what kind of person you are. And that's that's oh, the yeah, that's yeah, sure. the distinction yeah. I've always heard is like shame means your it, it affects your identity, means you aren't worthy of whatever you aren't worthy to be loved you aren't 
you, you, yeah, like you are no longer a child of God, like you are no longer, yeah, someone who, who deserves anything good, right? So, like, that's when, yeah, because otherwise, like, yeah, some things, like, I feel very, like, yeah, I mean, well, not just that, like, you should feel guilty about, you know, and maybe that does, like, really deeply disturb you, but, uh, but that doesn't mean it's shame, it's just because it's the magnitude, you know, um, if you maintain that identity. Any more on that before I keep going? Um, what are you going to next? Uh, work toward feeling hopeful about your future. Is that the next article? I think it's... Oh. No, the, the, that was the next thing in psychology today. Gotcha, is work gotcha. towards feeling hopeful. Yeah. They did not list rebound sex as a example to, for that. Just a quick jump off, but like just to make an observation that I was thinking about with the movie, like... To, I don't know, I was contrasting this movie to other movies that... So I was thinking about um, uh, the movie about Johnny Cash. I forget what it's called. Walk the Line. Walk the Line, there you go. Like, how they set that movie up, and again, how true is it to... How perfect was it what happened, I don't know, but at least in the movie. Um, like, they almost set it up for your to where like you're like rooting for him to be with... Um, what's her name? June. 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 And, like, they almost make his first wife out to be kind of cold. And it's, like, and it, but if you, like, actually step back with, like, the Chuck Nolan, like, perspective, it's, like, well, he's literally ripping his family apart. And then you watch this movie. The reason I thought it was kind of the guilt-shame thing, I don't know. But have you ever had, so, would an experience, not obviously to this magnitude, but, like, what Kelly did hurt him in a, like, emotionally psychologically right like he loved this woman he lived for her he came back and she's with another man right but like she didn't actually do anything wrong you know what i mean like objective objectively she did nothing wrong she did nothing immoral she did nothing you could be mad about and yet Mm -hmm. every fiber of his being looks at this as like infidelity i mean i would imagine most people would like you'd perceive it as like infidelity Right, like, sure, yeah, sure. So just, I don't know, and not the, not to the, not to the same. I'm not asking if you ever like perceive someone to be unfaithful to you in this way, but just this idea of people can do things that can hurt us, or the end result might cause us a ton of pain, even though they didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just kind of thought that was interesting, and I was trying to like think about areas of my life where. Maybe that's happened or not, and was I able to take this kind of, I'm really hurt, but still take the high ground way. Right. So just to clarify that, yeah, you're saying Chuck Nolan was clearly emotionally, psychologically, spiritually hurt by Kelly marrying someone else, but it's pretty clear in the manner of the way the story is laid out that she did nothing wrong. Um, and so what other instances with that and that very clear distinction in mind, can we then think of other instances in our life where we feel a sense of injustice, a sense of hurt, but recognize that, well, it's you can feel that way very logically, but that does not mean that you actually were abused, I suppose, in an objective, in actual way. I know, I know one story I heard, uh, this is from like, a, I don't know, I guess a, a 
think it was a Catholic speaker of some sort, but she told a story of, it was like her high school uh, homecoming prom, some dance, um, and she was being taken to the dance by a boy who I guess had some sort of bad reputation in town. And her father basically just said, like, you should not go with this boy, you know, to whatever. Like, so she was getting ready to go. She was like, he was like, please, like, I'd re- like, don't go. I'm not going to force you, but like, I'm just going to encourage you not to go. Um, and she, which like, depending on the circumstances could be like a really good thing for a father to do. But like the way she, like, she was deeply hurt by that. You know, and that was like a wound that she described uh, that she kind of needed to heal from. Not that her dad did anything wrong per se, but like, but what she heard was, I can't be trusted. You mm. know what I mean? So mm. it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a couple things that you said that came to mind that, yeah, I'd rather not share. But that's like the type of thing that I think is real. Like, I'm just very on. I mean, I know Abe, my son, is too young to like do I like uh be affected that way really i guess at least not in an explicit way but but yeah it's the type of thing as like a new father i'm just like shoot like i'm just trying it's hard to come to terms with the fact that that's probably going to happen in some way shape or form like yeah you know maybe i'll do something yeah. bad actually bad <laughs> that'll harm my kids like i don't doubt i'll do something like that at some point you know, just being too harsh or too whatever but like I could just do the right thing and that'll hurt my kids, you know, which is just hard to, yeah, it's just hard to accept. So my mom and I were talking about this recently. Um, cause we were talking about the, uh, the, the novel I've been working on for a year and some months now. <clears throat> and, and the idea of parenting is sort of in uh, a theme within the story. Well, one of the one of the lines in the story uh, is from the sort of like wise old-ish uh, woman named Hanley to uh, to the main character Grady, who's like twelve, and Hanley tells Mel the average parent is just trying to you know make sure that their child is fed and you know, alive, more or less, in some words or another. Uh, Good parents just try to make sure that they're not hurting their child in the same way that they were hurt growing up. And perfect parents, there are none, right? Because the idea is getting that you can't anticipate perfectly the way that your child is being hurt um, by some very subtle, nuanced set of actions on your part. You know, because they're growing up in a different world than, yeah. And so the point, the point, though, that I made in this conversation with my mom, not, not, I'm sorry, not like I was teaching her about parenting, but just, just like what my, my sort of like takeaway, like with that in mind, relate to another Tom Hanks movie, uh, Sleepless in Seattle. And... What seems like what seems what seems right, which seems appropriate, which seems mature, is like a certain certain um, manner of agnosticism in parenting. And what I mean is this: is at the end of the movie when Tom Hanks goes and gets his son from the top of the Empire State Building after trying to meet 
uh, Meg Ryan's character. And, you know, he's like emotionally stressed and he grabs his son and he says, hey, we're, I'm not doing too bad, am I? And, and they're like both crying and I'm think I'm thinking to myself every time I watch it is like, well, that's sort of a leading question. What do you expect him to say? <laughs> like, well, you could. <laughs> yeah. At our next performance review, and we'll go more. <laughs> the that that's not on the part of I I I you know Lord knows what I would do in that kind of situation, but I would like to think that I would take that kind of question like, "Am I doing okay as a dad?" Like really, really seriously. Like you have to not, you have to make them feel one hundred percent comfortable with giving you any answer, and I dare say, encourage them at some level to say the opposite, right? Because there has to be, there has to be some small negative way they're hurting them that can be illuminated if you give them the space to say so. Of course, at the same time, in fairness to Tom Hanks, is like, yeah, you've you've lost your wife, you've just lost your son you thought and flew across the country to find him you know you're dating a woman who laughs really funny right like you're experiencing your own stress and you want to count on some kind of satisfaction with your life and know that you're a great dad and maybe you're going to put yourself in a situation where you can guarantee that you're going to get that answer um so I don't know what speech series that will fit under the Tom Hanks dad on <laughs> top of the Empire State Building. No, the speech from that one would be when he's on the phone with uh, the doctor. Which is actually sort of similar to this, this speech. I've never seen that movie. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> to round out psychology today, they say the la- their number 10, their last one, is behave in ways consistent with your values, which I think is fairly good and benign. Yeah, benign, yeah. That's yeah, very uh, low-key way of uh, being amenable to all, yeah. all parties. Shall we move on to the gospel of art of manliness? Oh, shoot. Yes, of, of course. Let's see. I'll just do the aftermath portion. Well, hold on. before we keep dwelling on these articles, Ross or Ross or Landon, do you guys have anything? I just did a little, little perusing of who owns these publications that we're referencing. Like business, like business wise, who's like behind them? Interesting. Yeah, uh, Men's Health is the Hertz Hearst family. Um, they own the Los Angeles Times for 135 years. So Holy smokes! The wealth, thats crazy. The the wealthiest of wealthy California <laughs> families are behind Men's Health. Um, Psychology Today used to be owned by the American Psychological Association until 1995. Now it's owned by a publishing company that has no Wikipedia pages or their ownership. Of the ownership has no Wikipedia pages, okay. so hard to hard to get get down to like who's writing all this stuff. Real well, actually, I, f- I forgot about the desiring God. Pay- there are just a few that I'll, I won't go point by point just for time. But one one of the points I thought was interesting was affection as an addiction. You know, the affection can be an addiction if you've been on dates, held hands, seen smiles, exchanged notes. Um, you will want more. And the easiest way to find the re- 
find it is to rebound right away. But if we care about God, our witness, our ex, our future significant other, will wait, pray, date, and patiently, uh, and date patiently and carefully. It's too easy to leave a trail of wounded people behind in our pursuit of a partner, which I thought was a really, uh, yeah, I, don't know, I thought that was a cool point to make. Um, it's too easy to leave wounded people behind in pursuit of our partner. Yeah, that's a really, that's a good, good quote there. John Piper's a theologian out of Minnesota. That's the desiring God guy. He's behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something sort of similar to that note. <clears throat> Who was I talking about this with? Me, and my mom. <laughs> um, at some point in the last couple of years, it's incredible the idea the reality surreal maybe that when you date someone you know more than a meaningful amount of time you know at very least a couple months you become a you become an aspect of their life for the rest of their life You know, they're always going to remember, you know, the things that you did that were funny or the things that you did which were, like, weird or quirky or something or just the way you went about being broken up with or breaking up with them. And you, for them, assuming that they're someone that you basically never see again, which is the case for some of my ex-girlfriends, some not, that you will be... 23 for them for the rest of their life or 27 or whatever man that that's just a great like what other aspects of life is that the case and i think with that in mind that i think being very deeply cognizant of that reality provides a very powerful impetus to to date well. I remember there was a there was a sentiment <clears throat> that was often expressed in Catholic dating circles in college or post college was that the person you're dating right now, you are either going to marry them or or not. That sounds too simple. Man, why did it sound more powerful when they said it? I mean, as You're... welcome to the speech, guys. <laughs> you will for all your deepest wisdom. I mean, I feel like in in well, I mean, kind of talking, bringing up the vow thing of earlier, like because our, a lot of our dating knowledge is informed by these sort of like transient, secular sorts of relationship ideas, you know, like. Marriage isn't forever, you know, like maybe you just date someone indefinitely and never marry him and maybe you, whatever, you know, I I mean, I guess like that's, I think it kind of breaks through a lot of the common conceptions of that to being like, yep, you're either going to marry him or you won't. And like at that, when you put it that way, it's like, oh, well, all right, like that actually makes me breaking up with this person feel like. A move for like a move forward you know or, or feels like uh, yeah. oh well i didn't marry him okay like that's actually a big deal and it's only one person i'm doing that with so like the fact that this wasn't that person i don't know i guess makes it feel less significant 
Which, like, yeah, when you break up with someone, it certainly feels awfully significant, you know? I feel like we're sort of starting to wade into the territory of what we had jotted down in our notes, the idea of praying for your future Mm. spouse. Sure. Which, yeah, I know it's obviously something that's come up, and, I mean, I, I certainly have done it. Uh, Landon in Protestant circles, is that something you've heard or you did or do well, not do anymore? Well, hopefully, you pray for Lauren. <laughs> I got her, I won. I don't need to pray anymore. <laughs> I would say, I think it was <clears throat> impression upon us that, like, if you would not marry this person, even I even heard this in high school, like, if you're not gonna, if you don't see a path to like marrying them and like be tied to them forever like don't even go on the first date like there's just too many uncertainties temptations waste of time however you want to call it like dating is just preparation for marriage and i think that is a lost point of wisdom everywhere in the the ways that we think about this now um i I would say yeah we, we definitely prayed um my wife lauren gave me she wrote like tons of letters to her future oh, husband, like awesome. in like high school and college, and that was part of like my morning wedding gift. Oh, was like wow. this just like that's cool pile of like expectations she had. I don't know <laughs> how many were in it, but like most sure. of them weren't specifically me. Can you can you share any thing? You should have set them out in front of you here. <laughs> share any of bits of them. I don't, yeah, um, there were, like, I would say, like, two or three dozen, like, unnamed, written, well-thought-out ones. Um, three dozen? Thirty-six. Yeah. Thirty-six. For our non-math listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it is a thing, been a part of it. It's... Hearing these type of things makes me think more of a... I'm still calling the men's health stuff stupid. I'm standing by that. But it makes sense. Maybe we're just not men, Ross. Have we thought about that? Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We just need to follow their advice better. It makes sense in the sense of like how you understand dating. So if dating is a discernment of marriage, then yeah. You can almost have peace when it's done, and there's all those things they listed say stupid, like sound stupid. If dating is simply uh, some sort of avenue, which I find pleasure in, like a recreational activity, mm, then I can just replace it from other avenues in which I find pleasure in right now to kind of fill the void, and it lessens the pain. Mm -hmm. So, like in that sense, it would make sense. Okay, Matt, what does our friend at the art man this Brett McKay, Brett and Kate McKay have Teach to us, say? Teach us, Brett. Teach us. How, how, how do we do this? How do we get ready for the next Brett. one? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Three of us are married and we're like on the edge of our seats. Like, how do we break up with someone? <laughs> so... Uh, actually, this wasn't even Brett McKay. It was a guest post. <laughs> he doesn't know anything. Yeah, true. <laughs> I I make that a requirement every time we reference them too much. So if you're ever gonna reference them again, it must be if it's if it's not if it's not from Brett, it's non-canonical. 
Anyway, all right, here we go. It's like we're reading a didache. <laughs> um, I I don't know if I highlighted all of the points, but these are the ones I thought most salient. Be most uh, be reasonable. Don't join the army on a whim, <laughs> or shave your head. Uh, the shaving that I literally thought about doing that once after a breakup. I don't know about you guys, but that was literally a thought. And yes, Ross, I. Let's just run through them, then we'll do comments. All right, fair enough. Your your friends and family are there for you. Don't be afraid to let them know you could use a pick me up. Uh, next one, stay busy. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to stay so busy you don't think about it. But working out or working on a project will give you a sense of purpose. Uh, avoid her. Don't listen to. Don't listen when people tell you that you should not be afraid to be around her. Take all the time you need to get back on back. Uh, get your feet back underneath you. Um, when you are ready to see her, you will know. Until then, put her pictures and love letters away. Next, don't go looking for pity. Last one, do not stalk your ex. Stay away from Facebook or other social media pages. Did any of you guys want to shave your head? Any, is that ever a temptation? No? Okay. All right. Just lose weight. <laughs> really? You thought you tried to lose weight at one point? Uh, well, I mean... Are you telling me I need to lose weight? Just, yeah, glad you're reading between <laughs> the lines. Well, I mean, just in a general sense, being a little bit a little bit vulnerable here, I was just talking with a friend last weekend. There is... <clears throat> there is some... Well, how, how, would I, how would I put this? Like, and an impetus... I, I suppose there is a positive way, to, <laughs> positive way to spin this. It's like always wanting to be the best version of myself for whoever god willing my partner is yeah so i mean i think i think just going along with that just yeah just trying to be strong and durable and and interesting and and uh, a virtuous person i think is always just a natural inclination for me as it, it comes very naturally as a single person um but at the same time like god willing being with someone i don't necessarily think that those inclinations go away but just how i would how i would conceive of them in my mind or how i articulate them might swap a little bit whereas it's like life is so challenging for my spouse therefore i want to make it as easy as possible for them and no one wants to be that i was like mars hill reference first one of season three <laughs> i was i'm i'm re-listening i'm basically finished listening to it for the third time and there's a clip that they play in it no big eyes ross i've, I've three times <laughs> It's just, Ross, it's, it? it's just like, it's like, it no, I've not listened like to it. <laughs> history and entertainment. It's history and entertainment in a podcast form. Like, it's like, I want to listen to something right now. I'll like, that's the best yeah. thing to listen to. But anyway, there's a little bit of a di digression, but it, it at least sort of like illustrates my point a little bit or disposition. But Mark Driscoll, who's the main pastor, the cussing pastor, as he's sort of recognized at the time of a Mars Hill uh, uh, church, 
like he describes this um he's talking to this husband talking about his marriage he's like yeah how are things going in your marriage he says oh it's great it's like yeah i come home my wife my she knows i've had a hard day she's got some nachos and wings ready for me next to my recliner and a drink and it's like i just want to slap mark driscoll and this guy like really you think you come home and your wife wants to raise another child. That's exactly what you sound <laughs> like. If you want nachos, sit. No, don't. Oh gosh. I mean, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, that that's a digression, but just a point that just drove me up a wall recently. <laughs> to try Still to end it, on one. Matt, Matt don't shave your head. Don't expect nachos. Yeah. Matt wanted to shave his head. I wanted to lose more weight. <laughs> So on a perpetual diet. But, uh, Mike wanted to, re- to run a two-minute mile. <laughs> two minutes, Mike. But uh, no, I, I mean, I I would say, uh, yeah, with Arda, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of commonalities between a variety of these things that we we noted. But I would say one that stood out, maybe with this one. Um, so I remember, so like, the last breakup I had was. Uh, during Exodus 90. So I, you know, this is kind of a cynical program for those of you who don't know, but part of it is like this weekly fraternal meeting thing. And yeah, actually I thought that was really helpful to just have like, yeah, just be able to like, just throw it out there, let someone else know about it. Um, I kind of let myself uh, have a little bit of grace on some of the, uh, the disciplines we were enacting just to uh, keep from ruminating on things too much. But yeah, no, I thought that was like a really helpful thing, just knowing that, yeah, there's a group of men who I uh, cared about who, I mean, I don't know if I like, I don't recall talking about it a ton, but just knowing that, yeah, there was someone gave a care, you know? Are we moving on to how many stars? I just think, I don't know. I feel like it's been good. The whole like idea of providence and grace mm. seems to really stick out as like the underlying themes. Yeah. I feel like this... I want a yeah. better punch yeah. than, and not that it was not good mm-hmm. to talk about the dating and stuff. I like sure. that, but just to close this episode, I want to hear more about providence and grace and what I can do okay. and yeah, not yeah. how I shouldn't masturbate if I break up with a girl. Do you, like, you want to? <laughs> do you want to end on how do you teach your sons to be good losers in love? I feel like better. That might be a good yeah, final like that bell better. question like that, that could like okay. allow that to be voiced. You know. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I think we, we could right do now. that. Wake up. Five <laughs> minutes. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Final bell. Four rounds. Fifteen. One more round. There's no stopping this now. This is our round. No stopping now. We're starting. We don't stop. All your strength. All your power. All your love. Everything you've got. This is all life. Do it now. Okay, final bell here. We've covered uh, the speech, Chuck Nolan, Kelly, what to do after breakups, and different uh, perhaps questionable pieces of advice from psychology today was pretty solid. Um, Men's health was questionable. Art Manus was uh, definitely a good start for sure. Um, Brought up uh, the concepts of providence and grace. Um, as we sort of interpreted from Chuck Nolan's speech in Time on the Island. 
I think we're going to finish with this final bell question. How to teach your sons to be good losers in love. Teaching your daughter is good too. Ross does have one daughter, just to be clear. But we'll leave it there. For, so we're going to give you a lot of latitude here. A lot of elbow room uh, to discuss this question. Bonus points for using providence and grace in a sentence appropriately. <laughs> Real quick, I don't know if I told you guys, uh, our second child is going to be a boy. Whoa. Yeah. Congratulations. So, boy, no, Congratulations. boy number two. Uh, I'm going to pour just a little more, a little mm. more bourbon to celebrate. Here, here. That's right. Grand. It switched to non-alcoholic beverages, but I'll go back. <laughs> But yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think we kind of alluded to like just teaching the basics of dating relation, uh, relationships, vocation, marriage, and like what dating's for. Well, I think that'll take you like 80% or more of the way there um, in terms of like teaching our sons how to be good losers in love. Yeah, basically knowing dating is a discernment of, of a vocation and that like two people they actually need to discern the same thing is both terrifying and also liberating, I think, you know, terrifying in that like, yeah, you, there's a certain level of, uh, yeah, you put yourself out there and, and, and you're, yeah, you're going to be judged in a certain way, but also liberating in that like, oh, well, actually they don't want to date me anymore. Okay. Like that's, that's a pretty clear sign. Uh, I feel like a lot of times you look for signs in certain things and it's like, oh, actually they don't want to date me. All right. That's a sign. I guess we're not. I called them marriage right now, you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess like, wait, you were just answering the question when I was well, I gone. Started it. Yeah. <laughs> what? I... <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's good. He's going, well, he's going. <laughs> yep. You can download it from Spotify like everyone else. You get the pre-recorded version, but yeah, I guess like the last bit would be, I don't know, I guess just teaching them, I think, like, just their identity of, like, as, like, a son of God and that, like, God does have a plan for their life and just kind of the basics of, like, self-worth and and just, like, the social basics of, like, just, like, treating people with dignity. You know, like, this is a woman who is making her own decision-making process just like you are and, like, you know, you have to be graceful to, to her you know, no matter what she says. So, yeah, I guess I, I think a lot of the, the being a good loser in love just comes from a lot of the other basics. And I don't know if there's, I mean, certainly there might be good practical advice uh, that we heard earlier, but, but yeah, I think a lot of like just the fundamentals of like a good life, uh, I think would take them pretty much a good chunk of the way there. I'll piggyback a little bit off of what Matt said and then throw my own thoughts in as well. But <clears throat> I, I agree that just having the proper understanding of what dating is is going to be super helpful um, to teach your son to be a loser and love. I think just a couple other things to remember that would help, like as I'm thinking of my sons as they get older, outside of just understanding what dating really is, you know, discerning marriage, that type of thing. I think a couple points to think about, or they'll try to. My kids are pretty little still. I have three sons, but they're all young. So, but as they get older, you know, the the women don't belong to them, obviously, 
um, I actually think that's helpful, like to just to have that mindset. Um, and I, I don't know how I'll try to say it, but it's not over till it's over in the sense of like, if you're, if you're going to marry someone, put a ring on her finger. So just a pet peeve of mine is when I hear people talk about how they're going to marry someone or something like that, but they haven't proposed yet. That's always kind of bugged me in the sense of like, when I actually like, I remember the moment I was like, yeah, I'm going to marry Julie or I'm going to propose to Julie. Like I went and bought a ring and did it. There was no like waiting period, I guess. Well, there hasn't been some, or was it literally like pulling up Google? <laughs> what are you like driving? Weeks. Okay, okay I had, week. took we. I don't know, but it was quick. I don't know. I just I think there's a sense of like you can't make the decision you're going to be with someone the rest of your life and not vow or agree or promise to be with them the rest of your life. And then the last, I don't know. I think. Also, just the idea that, kind of like we referenced earlier, I like the words providence better than destiny. There's not a perfect person. As cliche as there's other fish in the sea sounds, like that's actually really true. There's not just one single person in the world that that's the absolute person from eternity you've meant to be with. Like, no. Uh, Like, you have a choice in who you're going to be with. I remember when I was kind of discerning, praying about, thinking about if I should propose... Like, I never got the, you know, lights in the sky, go for it. I, you know, it was, I remember thinking about, it's kind of like you're stepping off a cliff in the sense of there's no going back. Like, once you, once you say yes, there's no turning around. I prayed a lot, like, God, this seems to be what I'm supposed to do. Like, everything seems to be pointing towards this. So, like, I I think I'm going to do this. Like, please stop me if I'm not supposed to do this. Because, like, I'm going to. Like, I'm giving you the chance now. Like, tell me if I'm not supposed yeah, to. prove me wrong. Um, yeah. And nothing happened, obviously. There was no stopping me. But it kind of hit me, like, not that he doesn't care. I'm not saying that at all. Or that it's not important who you marry. But there's also a sense of, well, he's he's letting me decide. If that makes sense. So it's not like, a, oh, you're making the right choice. Yes! Or, you know, this is the wrong choice. So much as, like, a, this is your choice. Like, make a choice and then I will do something good with it. And I think that's kind of how the providence kind of plays in that we talked about earlier. So anyway, as far as losing or how to lose in love is I think, yeah, make a choice, trust in God. And yeah, that's all I got. Hashtag providence, hashtag grace. Plus one. (laughs) (laughs) I really like all that. Um, the question is how to teach your son how to lose in dating. If he could just run a two-minute mile, he'd never lose, though. <laughs> yeah, you're fat. <laughs> you need to lose some weight. <laughs> Get the calipers out. What came to me was another quote that has a lot of applications, but I think it it fits here. For when the one great scorer comes to mark against your name. He'll write not that you won or lost, but how you played the game. Dating's often compared to a game. The one great score is God, eternity. Um, and it is, it, it's like, if you win or lose, it's like, what was your attitude? How did you treat everybody? 
I think that applies here. Um, that whether or not you, and perhaps especially if in this question, how do you lose? It's like how do you how do you play it um, that you will be scored on, judged for your actions in in the the art of losing, and that's important to remember. Um, I I think that the thing that sort of sticks out the most to me don't don't take it personally that's such a complicated thing because it's like who else is she breaking up with other than <laughs> you the person you, Mike. <laughs> it's not you it's me i'm breaking up with your <laughs> concepts but not with you <laughs> and i i think it does tie well into uh what matt had said regarding identity child of god and I'm actually writing something right now for um, <laughs> something Stephen sent me for uh, a sort of Catholic digital publication. I reference, yeah, and I reference this last episode too with Friday Night Lights and identity. But man, identity just really applies in so many, so many different dimensions. I guess it is just when when you're feeling really low, it's like a baseline disposition to uh, butt yourself up against or away from. But you know, just uh, just recall, Monsignor Brownsy grasping your shoulder in the communion line if you didn't receive communion, and saying Jesus loves you, and so do I. <clears throat> For you know, in the manner he did that, the way I wrote in this little article was uh, he he'd bear a countenance like a father who just saw his son or daughter score a soccer goal yeah with that recognition of your identity which sort of goes in play with your destiny too i do mean destiny in this sense too that but not destiny in a fatalist sense like you will get to heaven but you are you are called to heaven that that is your proper fate there there is a lot of power to that that I think is is under under leveraged, and I think with that attitude in mind towards your towards your destiny towards your identity, it's kind of a good foundation towards those uh towards those things that you guys have have been saying in uh, a little bit more of the more of the details. So, <clears throat> reminder of their identity, their destiny, which of course they're. Uh, complimentary ex-girlfriend or potential ex-girlfriend will have i think uh would be the path there and it works both ways son or daughter okay final final bell very briefly robert e lee was a five-star loser um but how many stars of a loser is chuck nolan uh, using the loser star canon from Brett McKay, C-A-N-O-N, uh, just for clarity there. You, you have to chant some part of that. I, like We have, just very quickly to remind you guys, accept responsibility for the loss, bow out gracefully, acknowledge the winner, support the winner if possible, learn for the loss, and move on. Okay, accept responsibility for the loss. Did he do that? And if so, give evidence. I don't know if there was responsibility in this situation. I don't know if he... Ex- Wrong. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. Because when he comes back, he tells Kelly, I never should have gotten on that plane. Couldn't have done better. <laughs> one star. <clears throat> He's one for one. Bow out gracefully. He told her to go home. Definitely. Perfect. No. He is the gold standard. Acknowledge the winner. Where did he acknowledge? He said you should go home. What does he mean by home? You should go to your husband. You should go to your family. You should go. Yeah. You know, but I've wanted to bring this up. I kept forgetting about it. It is questionable whether he is a inappropriate, suitable, capable husband. I mean, when she passed out from hearing that Chuck Nolan was alive, he just stared at her like a useless mannequin. (laughs) You need, like, a public forum, I think, to truly bow out gracefully. Mm. It's just not exactly applicable. Okay, fair, fair. I I think acknowledge a winner is is spot on. Support (laughs) the winner if possible. I think if possible sort of applies here. Not really. I mean, he... It'd been weird if you would have asked the babysitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe can yeah, I be a godfather to your half, next child? Yeah, maybe a half star. Maybe yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Learn from the loss and move on. He nailed it, of course. So definitely did three to four of them. What do we have going on next episode? Losing in life, I guess. So losing in war, losing in love, uh, dealing with the loss of another. Do you have a speech? I do have one. Should I throw it out there? Hmm. Um, so it's the TED Talk from, to be honest, I've forgotten her name, but the author of When Breath Becomes Air will be the next speech. All right. Thanks for no, drinking. No, no. It's my. And thinking. <laughs> hey, it's been a great show. Over, thanks for drinking. You, you ruined no. it. <laughs> thanks for drinking. And thinking. With us. Landon, you can say, be safe out there. Be safe out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Super. Cue the music. Come and go. Look toward the horizon. Up ahead you'll find a peace of mind. Relief from the trying. I have burned a bridge. Wrecked in a ditch. Had to ask Dead ends come and go Look toward the horizon Oh, there are stories to tell Times we grew and the times we fell Oh, I've been afraid some days But the road will lead us to a better place Road will lead us to a better place Now it's time for StoryCorps' Military Voices Initiative, conversations between veterans and their families. Today we hear from 90-year-old Walter Dixon, a veteran of three wars. He returned home from World War II, got married right before he shipped off to Korea with the Army's 38th Infantry. He tells the story about what it's like to be declared dead on the battlefield and then return home alive came to StoryCorps with his son, Russ Dixon. 
Can you tell me about how you got captured? And I was away from my unit by probably a half a mile, and there was five guys, and they got hit by an artillery round. One of them's legs were both broken, so I took my field jacket and wrapped around his legs to hold them together. I went back up to my machine gun, and that's when I got caught. When I got captured, those guys in that uh, hole with my field jacket there, they just got blown all to heck. My jacket, it had letters from my wife in their pockets, so they assumed that that was me. Oh. And I'm sure that's why they reported me dead instead of captured. How was the conditions in the POW camp? I know you said you ate some rats. Oh, yeah. Of course, we had to burn wood to stay warm, and so we'd go on wood details, and I started to make better headway, and this guard hollered for me to halt, but I didn't. So he come and he stuck me as a bayonet. Kind of a rough time right there. I escaped five times, but uh, I never made it. When the war was over, I went in a hospital there for a few days. Then I went to Fort Hood, Texas. You were alive, but yet they reported you killed. So what did you say when you found out that your first wife was remarried and had a baby? I said, well, good luck. Ain't much you can say. I can't blame her. I was dead, and then she found out I was alive. The only obvious thing to do was divorce one of us, and she made her decision. Anger don't do you any good on something like that. You can't do nothing about it. You just got to handle it the best way you know how. Why did you stay in the military after that experience? It was my life. After you go through all of that, you ain't scared of nothing. I went back to Korea, and then I went to Vietnam from there. Well, I tell a lot of people about your seven Purple Hearts and all that, and I brag about them just about every day. So how do you hope to be remembered? I don't really care. (laughs) I can remember me. No, I don't have any wants or needs of memory. I just enjoyed my military service, and I'd do it again, and I'm proud of it. That was Walter Dixon speaking with his son, Russ Dixon, at StoryCorps in Waynesville, Missouri. There's a bit more to this story when... Walter was declared dead. A woman named Aldine May Fenton wrote his obituary for the local newspaper. He wound up marrying her. They had three children, including Russ Dixon. This interview will be archived along with hundreds of thousands of others at the Library of Congress. ¶¶ 